Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We're going to jump into the next part of our service in just a second, but I want to reiterate a couple things Pastor Russ said. Yes, we uh, have a lot of our ladies, around 40 of our ladies that are just absolutely enjoying the presence of the Lord and fellowship together in the Lace Retreat this weekend. Ladies, listen, if you're not involved yet in Lace and the, the Bible study and the different things that they do, you really need to, I would encourage you to, to plug into that because it is a great, great thing. Also, next Sunday night, everybody say next Sunday night. That is the National Day of Prayer event that Pastor Russ was talking about. Folks, this is a miracle thing to come together this quickly with this many different pastors and leaders and government uh, civic officials and things like that. They're going to be standing on this stage to lead in, in prayers for our, our community and our nation in, our, in worship. We're not going to be worried about who's Baptist and who's Methodist and who's non-denominational, who's Church of God, who's Pentecost. It's not going to be about that. It's going to be about the name of Jesus and petitioning God for our needs in this country. And you do not want to miss this. I've done these all over the Southeast, and these are my favorite services to be a part of. Why? Because God commands His blessing where there's unity. God commands His blessing according to Psalm 133. He commands, He doesn't just bless it, He commands His blessing on unity. And you want to be a part of that. So make sure next Sunday night you're here at 630 to be a part of that. It's going to be amazing. I'm putting a pause on our current series that we started last week, The Dreamer. Had a great start to that. Going to start that again uh, uh, next Sunday. Don't miss part two of that. But we do a lot on Family Day. We kind of do a lot. And we, you know, we worship together. We have the children up here, so we have multiple generations. I love that. We celebrate life change through baptism. We do baby dedications. We've got a baby dedication at the end of the service that we're going to celebrate. But we also participate in a very sacred act called communion, the Lord's Supper. And so I don't want to gloss this over or get in a hurry. That's why I don't preach a regular message on these days because I want to be able to take the time to pause and to go slow, not hurry people to getting baptized or hurry any other part of the service, especially communion, so that we can just pause and get everything we can out of it. It's so important. And today in my teaching about communion, which I always try to do a little bit of teaching about it, um, listen to me. I'm going to say some hard things today. I'm going to teach some hard things that I've never seen, never taught before when leading communion. God began to, as I was studying and, and looking at commentaries and different things, God began to drop this in my spirit. And I'm like, Lord, are you sure? And I argued with God. Anybody ever argued with God? How did that go? He won. He will eventually win. And as soon as I realized really that the Spirit of God was, was in this, I, I yielded and I just have to be obedient to what he's asked me to teach today. Um, first, before we get into that, does everybody have communion elements? Just if you don't, raise your hand. Our ushers are ready right here, right over here. Anybody else? At New Life, we practice open communion, meaning you do not have to be a member, just a Christian. And if you have a ch children here and they, they know Christ, they are welcome to participate as well. Anybody else? Everybody good? 
All right, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 22. We have it on the screen in the NIV. And I'm beginning with verse 1. I've never started this early, and you're going to see why in a few minutes. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the, and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. They had had it up to here with this man from Galilee. They were sick and tired of Jesus. He threatened their, their livelihood. He threatened the way they did church. He threatened everything about the set system of, of what they knew to be true. They were tired of this man, and they were ready to take him out in whatever means necessary, for they were afraid of the people. Verse 3, Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard, and listen, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. Listen, I want you to get this. They had a meeting. It was intentional. It was planning. It was plotting. He consented. Oh, they said they were delighted, of course, and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. It wasn't that they never saw Jesus. They saw him all the time. The problem was they had hundreds of people crowding around him all the time, and they knew they tried to arrest him in that context that they would probably mobbed and killed. So they were trying to figure out how to arrest him at night, but they didn't know where he went at night. So that's what this was all about. Verse 7, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. We, you probably know about the Passover and what that meant. If you're new to Christianity, all of you have heard of Moses and the, and the, the Egyptians and the, and the Israelites and the plagues. Hollywood has made movies about it for years and years. But what happened was Israel was enslaved to the Egyptian people for 400 years. And they cried out to God and God heard their cries and sent Moses, a type and shadow of Jesus, a rescuer for the people. Moses went before Pharaoh, you know the story, and, and said, let, you know, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, the, the, the plague start. Then he changes his mind. He says, okay, you can go. And then he would change his mind. He did that over and over, back and forth, nine times. Until finally God said, enough, this is the last one. I'm going to send a final plague and it's going to kill. The death angel is going to kill the firstborn of every home. And then he told Moses, he instructed Moses, I want the people of Israel to take, get this now, a perfect, spotless lamb to kill it, take the blood, wipe it on the doorpost, on the sides and above, and so that when the death angel comes, that death angel will see the what? The blood. The blood. And then he would what? Pass over. That's where we get the word. Pass over. So this meal was a celebration of that occurring. And then of course, Pharaoh did let the people go. Verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired. Now the Greek for that, the Greek for eagerly desired is this. With desire, I have desired. With desire, 
I have. In other words, guys, you have no idea how important this time together is to me. Folks, that's why we can't hurry through this. That's why we should never half-heartedly approach the Lord's table. Jesus said, I have, I have eagerly desired, with desire I have desired, over and over. I mean, this is so important to him. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment. Say fulfillment. Fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Look at the screen. Jesus' death on the cross was the fulfillment of Passover once and for all. You've got to get the significance of what's happening here. At the very moment that the lambs were being slaughtered at the temple, hundreds every year at Passover slaughtered. The blood, they said, would run in the streets. The very moment that was happening, Jesus was being crucified and his blood was being shed for you and for me. And, and the writer of Hebrews, and Hebrews 9 says, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all. Everybody say that with me. Once for all. By what? His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Folks, that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody get excited about the blood of Jesus washing away. There is no forgiveness. There is no remission of sin without the blood. That, that whole picture of the death angel seeing the blood and passing over was a type and shadow. It all, all pointed to what Jesus would do on the cross of Calvary. You see, when the, all those priests would offer sacrifices over and over, it never took one sin away. All it did was push them forward until Jesus hung between heaven and earth and took care of them once and for all to those who would receive that grace. It is available. Back to Luke 22, verse 17. And after the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, his body did not literally turn, the bread, excuse me, did not literally turn into his body. That is incorrect theology. It was a symbolic thing. He's saying, like this bread is being broken, my body is going to be broken so that you can be made whole. And it's done in remembrance. He's saying, do this over and over again to remember this sacrifice. The Passover was all about remembering God's deliverance from slavery, but the Lord's Supper is about remembering God's deliverance from sin. The Israelites were in physical bondage and were delivered by Moses, but we were in spiritual bondage and have been delivered through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant or the new testament in my blood, which is poured out for you. Once again, this juice doesn't turn into the actual blood of Jesus. That's not correct. It is a symbol. 
of the new covenant, the new testament, means the same thing. Jesus fulfilled all of those laws by living a perfect, spotless life that none of us, amen, none of us could do. He did it for us, and he went to the cross for us. And that blood represents that sacrifice and our ability to get right with God through his blood. Now, we're going to receive communion in just a moment, but I'm going to go one more verse, which I've never done before. I've never done this before. This is the part that I was talking about. Verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. I want you to notice something. Judas was in the room. Judas was at the table after he had intentionally met and planned the betrayal of Jesus. He allowed the Savior of the world to wash his feet. And then he would sit at the table of the Lord and partake in this holy act. Now I want you all to hear me very clearly. If, I, if I've gotten boring and, and, and you've glossed it, you, your eyes have glossed it, I want you to come back to me, okay? I want you to hear me very clearly. I'm about to speak, as I said, some very plain and hard things, but I want you to, if you know me well enough, you know it's from a place of love, a place of hope, a place of mercy. Jesus came full of grace and truth, and that's what this is. And I'm not speaking to those of you in the room who are seeking truth. You've come with a friend or you just happened in here, you're visiting, and you've not quite bought into the Christianity thing yet. You know there's something to it, but you've not quite committed yet to the whole. I'm not talking to you. I'm addressing those here, hear me, who claim to be Christians. Your hand is with his on the table. You claim to be a follower of Jesus like Judas was, but premeditated sin is in your heart. Can we get that next slide? Premeditated sin is in your heart. You know exactly what you have planned later today or tonight or later in the week or next weekend, you know exactly the sin that you have planned to do and you have no inhibition about it. You know it's sin. You know it's wrong. But it has consumed your thoughts. It's what you think about. It's what you can't wait to get there to do. It's what has consumed your thoughts and your minds and your actions and you really have no inhibition about it whatsoever. You are, listen, in that, in that pattern, you are betraying your faith over and over again. You are betraying, in essence, Jesus over and over again. And then you're coming and sneaking back into church and putting your hand right back on the table with his. I know that's hard and probably old-fashioned preaching and not going to get me any speaking engagements to any big churches. I don't care. Let me tell you something. 
If your heart's pumping and you know that I'm speaking directly to you, you're dancing with the devil. And he will eventually destroy you. When he's done wrecking your life with the very things you thought you couldn't live without in your life, he will use those very things to destroy you. He will chew you up and spit you out just like he did Judas. Now, I'm not talking about struggling with a sin. You've got to hear me today. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, having this sin in your life that you, you're, you're battling. You're like, ah, oh, I win a battle and thank you, Jesus. And then the next day I trip up and I'm, I'm back up and I'm, I've got my hands up and I'm fighting with the, with the Lord. And I'm, you know, it's Romans 7. Paul said, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, oh, that's what I end up doing. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about that battle. That's a battle. We all have that battle every single day. With the flesh, we're supposed to crucify the flesh. What I'm talking about is premeditated betrayal, premeditated sin that you have no qualms about, that you know exactly what you're going to do, and when you leave here, you're going to go and do it over and over and over again. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. Before we do this, before we partake in this sacred act, I want to give every single person the opportunity to receive grace and forgiveness, to purpose in your heart to walk the other way, to repent. Whatever that means, repent means going the other way. That may mean that you have to cut off some relationships. That may mean you can't hang out with certain people. Oh, pastor, I'm trying to lead them to the Lord. No, you're not. They're leading you away. You're not strong enough to hang out with them yet. There may come a time there may come, I'm talking to somebody, there may come a time when you are strong enough to go back and win those folks over. To, you're not there yet. Because more often than not, they're leading you astray. Whatever this means to you, I'm giving everyone the opportunity to meet with God and receive His grace and to repent and go the other direction before we receive. I feel the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads? Would you bow your heads? I'm not going to do an altar call. I prayed about that. God said no. But if you feel something stirring in you, you feel the Holy Spirit convict that you're like, Pastor, good grief, that's me. There's a pattern in my life like you just described. And I want to receive grace and mercy right now and go a different direction. I want you to boldly, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. Anybody else? Who else? All over the room. All over the room. All over the room. Put your hands down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer out loud. I want you to repeat it in your heart. Not out loud. In your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now in need of forgiveness. I repent of my sin. I'm so sorry, Lord, for this pattern in my life. I'm sorry for trampling on the blood of Jesus. And I'm asking you right now to forgive me of that sin. I'm asking right now that you would give me the courage and the boldness to purpose in my heart to go the other way and to live for you. To not have premeditated sin in my life. 
forgive me, Lord. Wash me in your blood. I'll receive that now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I feel like somebody just got set free. I feel like somebody, life was altered in that moment. Now, with a clear conscience and an open heart, we're going to remember. We're going to partake of this sacred thing. I want you to take the, the elements and peel off the top section, revealing the wafer. Sometimes it's a little hard to get to. Don't eat it yet. Again, this represents the body of Christ broken for us so that we could be whole. I've seen people healed during communion. There's not anything magical in this. It's, it's, it's the fact that there's some mysterious, it's just a mysterious, that God is just specially, and Jesus is, the presence of Christ is just here when we take communion. And I've seen people healed during this act. If you, if you really pray about it and think about it, let your faith rise. And what I want you to do is hold it up and snap it in two. The body of Christ broken for you and me. Take and eat. If you will, peel, peel back the next section revealing the juice. Don't drink it yet. Again, this is symbolic to the blood of Jesus. It became the new covenant for us. The blood of Jesus poured out. Take and drink. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just take a second and just, if you feel comfortable, raise your hands and just... Just thank him. Just take a second and thank him. You can open your mouth and, and just verbalize. Just We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy and your blood that you shed for us. Thank you that your body, you were willing to be beaten beyond recognition so that we could be made whole physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the, the body and the blood of Christ. Hallelujah.